please welcome to the podcast, nature photographer and conservationist, Zunaid Khan. Like so many people, everyone's lives have... Uh, have changed to some degree. I am interested in how yours has changed because you're, you you have a different sort of life than than when we first met. Yeah. But uh, tell me, past three months, how how you been keeping? The strangest part is I'm actually spending less time in nature, which is a little bit more frustrating. Oh. Um, okay. So the primary reason for that is that uh, I've been living with my parents for a while now. I, I initially it was sort of like. My consulting business died about three years ago and I was struggling and so I crashed with them for a while and then we chose to live together because they're elderly and I'm sort of a part-time caregiver. Sure. So I've reduced my exposure to people primarily as a protection uh. measure. So the trails, I'm getting back to my sort of routine but initially um, my exposure to nature was everybody was looking to get out but they were being very irresponsible. Yeah. Um, so it was versus being a stress release. It was stressful. Sure. So, so I pulled it back a little bit. Um, even the trails that I use within walking distance from my house were that were never really used. All of a sudden the foot traffic is like crazy, right? Justifiably. So people want to get outside. I live in yeah. an area where there are a lot of condos. Um, so, uh, but it's, uh, you know, beyond that, I mean, I got laid off. I took a part-time gig to help fund the photography and, and pursue it as a full-time. I got laid off because of COVID. Uh, I'm not, I haven't been on the T, I mean, I, up until maybe a week ago, I wasn't on the TTC since the end of March. Yeah. Uh, and it's my primary means about, of getting around the city. So I'm only shooting within anything I can walk to. Yeah. Uh, I bought a bike uh, so I can go a little further afield. This, the TTC still makes me rather nervous. Uh, yeah. So yeah. The, 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 the mask rule uh, that kicks in July 2nd will be a little easier, but, you know, confined spaces are really hard to, to control and not everybody is, is, is really doing what is necessary. So mm. it's a little disconcerting, but hopefully people will listen. Um, and start to you know play ball yeah. it's been uh, it's been weird um you know we're fortunate enough not not to uh not to need the ttc at this time uh mm -hmm. not knock on wood i'm able to work my wife and i are able to work uh from home um obviously our son he's 14 now is is able to obviously you know stay here but you know we're we're nervous about you know, we're thankful in a way that he doesn't have to go back to school physically right? Uh, until September. But we're also nervous about that because we're, we're not sure where we are going to be as a city or as a country in terms of uh, battling this and solving this, uh, this pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing is, fall is where we got to worry about the combination with the flu season right so we don't yeah we don't know so it's it's something to consider um yeah 
as part of my responsibilities for the board, I'm, I look at, for TFN, I'm looking at um, uh, what the city and the provinces is putting out basically daily, right? Of course. Uh, so we can, we shut all our programs down. Our biggest one is our walks um, and you couldn't do the walks, right? So yeah. uh, you got to be responsible. We have a lot of elderly members. Um, so uh, it's quite interesting to see what's what's happening. I'm glad they decided to open regionally because some areas are, are the caseload is better than others. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, Toronto and Peel are still problem areas. So yeah yeah i mean we live in a dense toronto's de uh there's dense areas in the city yeah um and and obviously there's there's a higher you know risk involved there versus somebody who lives on the manitoulin right? yeah you know yeah. it's it's, 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 it's behavioral to too though right hmm. like i think in in the city there's some aspect of it that although you have the density issue there is also you know how how certain people are looking at the behavior, I mean, looking at the pandemic uh, mm -hmm. and their reaction to it, uh, the impact on their lives, like some people that can't work from home yeah. and have to keep going to work. Um, yeah. And so you have these areas where either where they live or they, where they have to travel to work, um, where, you know, it's, it's harder to, it, it's taking longer for the caseload to go down because they're still at risk, right? Of course, of course. How are your parents doing? They're doing well. They're they're good. The stress has been tough, and they have some health issues. And, yeah. And so I, I bought a, once I the masks I bought came in, I was a little bit more comfortable with them going out. So sure. uh, uh, they go out for walks. You know, with the bubble opening, once we figure that out with the uh, with my brother and his kids, it'll, it'll their state of mind will skyrocket because so they'll be able to see the grandkids, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and actually hug them and stuff versus just FaceTime. So, um, but, uh, yeah, they're hanging in there. True. True. So listen, when Zunaid, when you and I first met, you were in the media space. Yeah. Um, tech media. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and now you're going a beer, taking photographs of, uh, <laughs> of birds and, and wildlife to tell me about this, uh, about this transition yeah so i actually tried the photography many years ago i picked i picked i picked up the camera and put it down this is the third attempt uh, okay and it's stuck uh the first time was in the dot-com days I, I gave it a shot uh okay flush with cash <laughs> and uh you know other people's money um yeah yeah and uh you know my first big payout i bought like the first sony cybershot camera ever produced and started shooting, but put it down because I was in tech, you know, I was trying to be that tech entrepreneur guy. Yeah. Try and be like very rich, whatnot. Sure. Um, and then I've tried it a couple other times, you know, the beginning of the smartphone era, I tried it. Okay. Um, but the decision to leave was predominantly around health, both mental and physical. So, okay. Um, my time in media got more and more toxic and, and tech. Um, so there's a multitude of factors that sort of started the journey and why I wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. um, sort of like, didn't like the work anymore. Uh, didn't like where tech was and where media was, the racism in, in, in Canadian media. Huh. 
um, was an aspect, not the primary, but it was an aspect of it that I just couldn't keep, you know, not saying anything about, you know, Islamophobia. I mean, I worked for Sun Media and Post Media. So, mm. so there was a lot of that stuff that I would see or hear. And eventually it kind of, the last media gig was Post. Okay. Um, and I used to be nauseous going to work every day. The stress was getting to me. I used to throw up. Wow. Uh, and the guy I was working for was just, we just weren't seeing on the same page. And it was, I mean, it was an interesting gig, but I found the environment very toxic. Uh, even for a digital side, I thought it was just, it was weird. I'd never kind of experienced it before. Um, wow. <laughs> and then, you know, they're run by a hedge fund. Uh, yeah. And, you know, a bunch of us that got hired around the same time all got canned 90 days later. So it turned out to be a, a big wake up call on the health side because I was on a trail, thought I was having a heart attack. It turned out to be an anxiety attack. Oh, wow. Yeah, scared the crap out of me. I went and got, you know, on the machine running, doing the whole heart test thing and everything. I, and I quit smoking, haven't smoked since then. And then just started spending more time on the trails and taking photos. And then I got, you know, some really inspirational feedback from uh, nature photographers, a Nat Geo guy and a BBC Earth guy. And the Nat Geo guy was like, go buy a camera. Um, so I were you using a smartphone or at the time? Yeah, I was using a smartphone and then they were like, wow, this is really good stuff. And so I decided to buy a camera. The smartphone was really interesting, though, because I had to study light different times a day because you can't adjust on the phone, right? So, yeah. So I would go out different times a day on the trails when I lived close to the Humber. And I was familiar with the trail system already. And I was, I was basically exercising, hiking, and sure. taking photos. And it kind of just built from there. Um, and so the more, once I got the camera, you know, teach self-taught everything. Um, I mean, I bought a Nat Geo course, but I've never, I've watched like five minutes of the first series. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, well, I'll just go out and shoot experiment, see what happens. Yeah. And so I learned some settings about what I wanted to shoot. Um, I didn't know what exactly when I started, I just knew it was nature. Okay. Uh, and then I became more interested in birds, um, as I went along. So that kind of, kind of interested the path, uh, impacted the path. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I've noticed recently you're out ba- based on when you upload the photos, I should say, you right. seem to, you seem to be out early in the morning. Uh, yeah. So it's one of the most interesting things about the sort of the journey has been, I thought that the stuff I would have to learn the most about would be the camera. Okay. I, I totally underestimated how much I would have to learn about my subject um, in oh. order to get the photo. So um, uh, time of day when you shoot, depending on the subject matter. Uh, so for birds and wildlife, the best times early morning or later in the day, I prefer early morning because there tends to be less people. You live in an urban environment that does have a lot of green space, but you're still going to, you know, later in the day, you know, people want to go out and see sunset. So you get a larger percentage of people out. There's less people going out to see the sunrise. Uh, So that kind of how it, it started. Um, 
I post more stuff around that time now out in terms of video because I kind of like, you know, I want to spread the joy of nature for people who sure. can't get out kind of idea. Yeah. Uh, I've always, I, I've predominantly gone out at that time. I just didn't post a lot of stuff while I was actually on the trail. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's kind of why I go more in the morning, especially since the pandemic, because even in the pandemic, I'm still running into more people I would typically run in, sure. uh, in the morning, because they're all, they're sort of with the same mentality. If I can get out earlier, there'll be less people and I can get my exercise <laughs> in. So, yeah. and it leads to, to more people, but it's, uh, it's still enough where, and I have the ability to navigate. I mean, I hear people way before they're even aware of my presence. So, um, you know, I have friends and, you know, some of our family think that my senses have actually improved. Oh, really? In my, yeah. In my ability to pick up sound. I think it's more about what you identify and focus on, right? Like, sure. so I'm listening for bird sound. Like I started on the trip, when you started on the trail, I listened first and then I folk, uh, so as a result, I pick, I can pick up bird sound, like, you know, 500 yards away on some birds. I know exactly what that bird is. So human sound in, in nature is actually even easier because we make so much noise. We're clumsy for the most part. So I, you know, sometimes I'm, I worry about, I have to actually make noise so I don't scare the crap out of people. Right. Because let them know you're there. <laughs> yeah. So I'll step off a trail to give them room and I've startled some people. So <laughs> I don't want to be like, scare <laughs> the crap out of someone with something full camo and, uh, yeah. you know. So do you, I, I've, I've, I've seen your photos and I'm like, okay, he's not. And I sort of imagine what you're doing to capture that. Right. Um, and most of the time I'm thinking, He's, he's standing still for hours trying to get some of these shots. And the shot that I'm seeing is probably one out of 50 shots he's taken of, of, that, of that same bird. Right. Um, and and, and it's, it's, it's weird because you're, you're, you're probably in the mentality of slow down. Why, why is everybody rushing? Yeah. And I'm like, I got 20 minutes until my next call. Let me, <laughs> let me run outside, do a quick walk to the pond and back sort of thing. Right. Tell, tell, tell me about your, 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 your process, I guess, you know, when you capture, when you finally capture a great photo or a, a series of great photos or videos, tell me about that process of how you finally capture that. Yeah, so it's really interesting. A lot of nature photographers, I shoot differently for most, okay. to be honest. Um, a lot of nature photographers uh, are stationary for much longer periods than I am. Okay. Um, and the reason this happened is sort of the way I developed shooting as I was exercising and hiking. So I don't stay stationary for extremely long periods of time. So in order to get the shots, what I had to do was learn about nature and, and behavior so that I can structure my hikes based on where um, I know the wildlife is going to be based on the ecosystem, what they eat okay. and, and that sort of stuff. And then I go to those places, I listen and then um, try and capture the action shots. So one of the interesting parts about it is I'm able to get shots that a lot of people maybe action shots that I wouldn't necessarily have gotten 
if I'd stayed in some places for long periods of time because um, the presence eventually, my presence eventually would deter the wildlife from, from moving around or they would move away, right? It depends on how yeah. far you are, if you have the ability to set up a blind and it depends on where you're shooting, right? Within mm -hmm. an urban environment, some of the wildlife gets used to us, so we become background noise. Okay. But some of the stuff that's a little bit more intriguing to shoot, like during migration periods, they're very skittish with, with humans because they're not in oh. that particular area. They're not used to our presence. So they're kind of just moving through feeding. So in order to get them, you, you, you want to minimize your impact. You don't want to cause stress on the bird. It's kind of part of, it's part of ethical nature photography. Okay. Uh, that I try to follow where minimize your impact. Uh, don't add too much stress, get the huh. shot and then move along, right? So in order to increase the opportunities of potentially capturing some pictures of uh, birds that I might be looking for, you need to understand uh, the habitats in which they're gonna be and how they move around those, where they would potentially nest, what they feed on, um, and then it's just, timing going back to the same places over and over again okay um, and some with some species depending on the type of year tracking them all around the city uh, oh. in order to to get a sense of where you might be able to get the kind of shots I'm looking for I mean when I first started it was like holy cow can I get a picture of a bird oh yeah I got a picture of a bird right <laughs> and now it's like study the behavior and I I so I could take a lot of shots just yeah. to study behavior. Like it's not about getting the shot. Okay. It's to study the behavior. And then I look at them afterwards and I go, okay, they do that. Like a woodpecker, for example, when it goes into the tree, when I thought, okay, they just like, you know, they're just banging into the tree straight, but they actually do this turn to make the hole wider. So oh, yeah? if you're paying attention, you can get a shot where you see the beak in in the hole with the head turned where the eye is exposed and you get this really great shot right oh, but if you just if you're not studying the behavior you kind of miss those things right so some of it i got just from like hey i looked at shots and i go holy cow the head's turning uh, wow so it depends like i used to, i go in bursts if i'm trying to figure out so i'll shoot 500 shots in a hike yeah and then i go through it and look at you know, stuff that, uh, that might, I might have missed when I'm shooting. Because I don't look at the camera when I shoot. Because uh -huh. when I first started, if I looked at the camera, I would miss stuff. So I stopped looking at the camera. So I shoot and look at everything later. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I move around. Now I, uh, partly because I'm constrained with certain areas, I go to some places and maybe sit for a while yeah. uh, out of the way of people. But... Um, and then there's certain places like Tommy Thompson Park is a place you can go and actually sit and stay in certain spots that are not frequented by a lot of people um, and take that's, shots. That's down by the, uh, the lake, right? The Leslie Spit? Yeah, Leslie Spit. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it's like a wildlife reserve. There's, yeah. I mean, they've counted maybe, got 400 different species of birds. Wow. Um, in that area and then there's some stuff that comes in and nests there um, that uh, you you would you don't see in other parts of the city 
okay. or it's less likely to. It's it's one of the great places to to see stuff, and it's so big that it's kind of easy to avoid people. Interesting, because that that's like a popular place. Yeah, it is. It's become uh, more popular because it's got you know more exposure. I mean, it's an accidental wildlife reserve, really. Yeah, you know, that's right. It's like condo development, subway development stuff that was dumped down there to make the extension of the pit and. And sort of, they started building some things around it, and like the the Suzuki special on it is is a great thing to watch. Okay. It, he did one on Tommy Thompson, uh, and it, they cover through all of the seasons, so it gives you great. But yeah, it's a great. Uh, I mean, and, and tech, and it's not even finished, like in terms of the construction. They're still oh, building wow. out certain aspects of it, but it's okay. a, a long term project from the TRCA. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great place. I'm one of the few people that spent a lot of time in, in the winter there, like early morning. Ah. There's a handful of people that go there. There's more people because they've discovered it, but you know, there's in a, the a winter time. Eh? Oh yeah. There's, there's a, a series of um, multiple species of, of ducks that winter here and they're, they're diving ducks, a variety of different breeds. And that's one of the great places to, to see. Ah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm fascinated by, actually, let me ask you this question. Um, you, I, I don't know uh, the conversations that you hear, but one of the things, one of the things that obviously I'm out to more uh, in my neighborhood, at, at least right. uh, at, at different times of the day, morning, afternoon, evening walks. Um, and so is a bunch of other people that, that I, you know, talk with often. And, we're wondering, are there more birds now, or are we, uh, are are we observing more because we're actually outside? So yeah, so it's actually depending on the uh, like when the pandemic first started and the lockdown first started, it was spring migration. So they are mm -hmm. actually there were actually more birds, but people are 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 out more and spending more time in their backyards. So they're actually seeing things that were already there that they never noticed before, right? Yeah. So I, there's a part, you know, I'm close to Earl Bales Park. So um, I've been spending a lot of time in there, but if there was no lockdown, it's not a park I spent a lot of time in because I go other parts of the city. It's my local. So I go there when I'm too lazy to go anywhere else. Um, and I noticed things that I knew were there because I heard them, but I never saw them. Yeah. That when there were less people in the park, they those particular birds or other wildlife like deer and coyote would move more into spaces we previously frequent so they were kind of taking the green space back right yeah so there 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 is an an increase in wildlife moving into spaces we were previously occupied um, and since it happened around spring migration people were probably seeing a lot more birds than they would would be around any other time of year other than in fall. Yeah. But it's, it's predominantly because you're noticing it more because you're out more, uh, you're highly stressed, you're trying to decompress in nature. So you're actually open to more of what's around you, right? Yeah. Especially you, you, you want to make most of the time. So you kind of more, you're kind of more receptive uh, to the, to, to the environment, which in one way is good because we have a major di disconnect with nature, which is what has led to why we are here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is so true. That is so so true. Um, we've got a uh, we've got a couple of ponds 
nearby where where I live in Scarborough. Um, obviously, there's always geese there, and every spring, you know, you, you right. count the you count the goslings. Every once in a while, in the in the larger pond, I'd see a a heron of some sort. Uh, probably, a, if it's gray blue, it's probably a great blue heron. Yeah. Yeah. This year, for the first time, I've seen. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but cormorant. Yeah. Double-crested yeah. cormorants, yeah. Yeah, Comorants, like a yeah. few of them. I've never seen them before. Yeah. And then someone had told me uh, they're there likely because there's fish. Yeah, yeah, they're the fish pond. eaters. Yeah. Um, they they uh, come up here, uh, let's see, early, early spring and stay till late fall. Uh, mm -hmm. They breed up here. Uh, they nest uh, within the city. They nest in Tommy Thompson. It's a federally protected area. Okay. Um, and the interesting thing with them is that because they, uh, well, they feed on fish, but they're also um, very wary of humans. So oh. with the lockdown, um, they've been exploring ponds or wetland areas that they previously avoided because of human activity. So Earl Bales oh, okay. was a perfect example. There's a the retaining pond there that sh is shared with the golf course. And there's tons of fish in it. And typically, I would see like, you know, less than 10 of the cormorants in there. Um, early when they came up, there was probably one morning I was there, I videoed, God, like 100 in the air, uh, oh, flying yeah. over and going through the pond. Now there's maybe three or four left because the, the golf course is open again. Uh, but they spend most of the, most of them, they come up the rivers, they come up the Don and the Humber, okay. but you see them mostly on the lake because they nest on Tommy. And so they go, they basically move along the lake east to west, um, and hunt out there. You'll see, okay. you know, thousands of them. Interesting. Wow. That many, eh? Yeah. There's probably, uh, you know, maybe like. I don't know what the colony size is, is this year, but I remember one year the colony size was probably up towards, you know, 60, 70,000, maybe, wow. maybe about 25 to 30,000 of that breeding pairs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's really they're, they're, a, they're a bit of a controversial bird. <laughs> in, in, in what way? So there's some debate whether or not it's a native species. There's some. Oh, okay. Um, evidence that they they've been in this area as, as far back as the 1800s uh, but um, their poop causes damage to trees so you have to control their nesting areas oh. um, and the Ford government has actually tried to institute a, a hunting season uh, on in them. The, what <laughs> yeah because well it's driven by the fishing lobby right so the the, the the fishermen believe that they impact fish stocks, which is a load of crap because the fish they eat is a, that they eat mostly within Lake Ontario is actually an invasive fish species that they're helping remove from the lake. So, so they don't really, you know, they, they're not really having an impact on, on native fish stocks within our, our, our ecosystems. Right. So, yeah. but you know, you spend enough money, you can convince the Ford government, I guess. <laughs> that is so true. Um, what you know since you've started you you must have for yourself at least discovered birds that you probably hadn't even thought of were that could be found in and around mm -hmm. the city 
Um, tell me about some of your favorites. I mean, the Cormonts are what I call a gateway bird because I saw them on the, um, they're what got me into to want to shoot more birds because I saw them on okay. the Humber River and I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then I saw them diving for fish and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I've never seen, you know, I knew, I've heard of those, but not in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd be, I thought I'd have to be like by an ocean or something to see birds like that. Um, the, and then the diving ducks were probably my biggest sort of like, wow, what the hell are those? The ones that are here in the winter, because there's like, God, eight, 10 species that spend time up here and the varying sizes. And they just fascinate me to no end huh. and got me into sequence shooting. So I basically shoot the whole dive process kind of thing. Oh, wow. There are ones I knew about, like Cardinals and Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd seen a red-winged blackbird. I just didn't know what the heck it was and how aggressive they were. What is that? What is a red-winged? Those red are the ones that you've probably seen the reports of them buzzing people in Liberty Village. Are they black with, like, red on yeah. each? Yeah, we have a few of them in the neighborhood here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, a lot of people don't like them because they buzz people around breeding season if you get close oh. to their... They'll like a fly right over your head, right? Yeah. Um, and there's one that keeps coming back to like Liberty Village and people come out of the, one of the condos and they get swooped, right? So oh, they're wow. super aggressive around the time that they're nesting, right? Okay. Um, I like them because they're super aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> they will, the, the bird is about this big, right? Yeah. About that big. They will chase a red-tailed hawk they will chase any bird of any size that comes close to the nest. Wow. And I, I just kind of like that, protecting your young, right? And they're, a little, sure. they're so small, but they're super aggressive. But, um, and then the herons were birds I knew about, but I'd never really seen. And there's, there's sort of the ones that are more common in Toronto are uh, the great blue heron, uh, the great egret, which is, is white, which you know, you'll see on the Humber River. Okay. Um, you'll see them in herons. You'll see like in wetlands on the edges of rivers or, you know, close to the shoreline on lakes or Tommy Thompson's another place. They breed a bunch of them. Uh, the black crowned night heron is another one uh, that you'll right. see out there. Um, and they, there's one sort of area of the park where they, where they nest. Um, yeah, I'd say, and then, sort of bird of prey like i've always been fascinated with with bird birds of prey yeah. and i didn't realize the the sheer number that are different types that uh, are in our city uh you know red-tailed hawks golden eagles um uh, cooper's hawks and you've it's got just a few of, nice photos of them on your website yeah, so there's some, it's pretty interesting because I was going out so much. I didn't realize that they hunt right next to my condo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're on the 27th floor. So I've gotten some great shots just opening the sliding door. Um, and okay. So I, I watch the sky when I'm at home. I sit here at my desk and I'm like, look at the sky. And I'm like, then I run out to the living room to go grab some shots when they're, when they're, the red tails like this area. There's a, a building, an office building right next to me that they like, there's one particular corner that the hawks like. Okay. Um, and actually peregrine falcon likes it too. So sometimes I just oh, go wow. out there and look and see if they are uh, around. They, they hunt the pigeons around here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the way you can tell that they're in the area is you see the pigeons going crazy. Was they, it you whose photo I saw with, with some bird with a, with a, uh, 
a, a bird yeah, a pigeon. yeah yeah on the uh, perched on a condo yeah that's yeah. right across yeah it's from the building apartment building across me i saw the grab i didn't get a shot of it i saw it dive down and grab the pigeon but i got shots of it um flying with the pigeon and uh of it perched on a, that's a building across so the so cool yeah. one of the things i i miss about uh going into the office our office is at uh on young street just north of york mills there's a golf course there oh yeah yeah uh, and so my office used to look out uh on the lookout west uh and before the golf course there's like a um trees and you know small tiny forest area yeah there's and, a ravine system down there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there you would i have no clue what kind of bird it was um but some sort of a of an eagle probably a family of them and they would just like you you'd see them circling yeah. you know almost like those a highway are, yeah those are actually the like the red tail picture you you've seen those are probably them because there, there's red tail hawks that actually nest uh, along the Don River close to the Don Valley Parkway. I mean, the close oh. to the, the Don Valley Golf Course, which is close to where you are. Yeah, 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 that's right. Right, that's right there. and yeah. they their range can be, like when they circle, can be up to 10 miles, right? Oh, wow. Um, from the nest. So what they do is they, they circle really high up. Their vision is crazy. And mm -hmm. they, they're looking down at prey, and then they slowly wind down. Ah, right. interesting. Yeah. Um, and so the ravines are areas that they, so they'll fly over some of the ravines. So the ravines that run off the Don River all the way on both branches. So they, they circle this whole area up here. <coughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. So that's, that's the main thing I miss about sitting, sitting in that office. I would just, and then I'd find myself daydreaming. I'd just be watch, <laughs> watching the birds. <laughs> yeah. That's you a know? good pastime. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, how did you get involved with the, uh, the Toronto Field and Naturalists? So um, I have a friend who we actually started in, in digital media at the same time. Like we've been friends for like 25 years or more. Um, he was our tech lead. I was the project guy running. This is when we used to call it new media, dating myself here. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got these diverse paths to, to conservation, actually. Oh, wow. And he's the president. He's the current president of, of TFN. And when I started shooting, I was looking for a group I could join to learn about nature, specifically native plant species and, and native birds. And, and that's what they do. They do you know, a bunch of walks around. So I joined um, and then I became interested in, in volunteering. So at first I did it with their editorial committee. Uh, but he's kind of sensed, he was a big supporter of mine when I started the photography that, that, and it's, it happens with some, not everybody, but once you start to, to look at nature more, you start to notice our impact more. Mm. Um, and if you start to, if you, when you have the, when the connection is back with nature and the love is there, you want to protect it. Um, so with my photography is now intertwined with conservation. It's, you can, I can't separate the two, they're linked. And mm. so um, he, I started getting a little bit more involved, uh, wanted to do uh, lead walks. Um, and then they approached me to, to join the board. 
Um, so I'm currently the co-VP. I sit on the board. I chair the promotions and outreach committee. Um, and I'm getting involved in other ways. But essentially, I mean, the, our mandate is pretty simple. It's about protecting green spaces in, in Toronto um, and getting people to explore them. And then once you explore, you want to learn. And we're there mm -hmm. to, to help you do that. Are we, are we doing a good job in, in Toronto taking care of things, you think? Um, we're doing okay. We could do better. Yeah. I mean, the, the new ravine strategy, which we, TFN has spent a lot of time working with the city on to, to do is, is a big step. The ravines in Toronto are like our lungs. Uh, they're not well taken care of. Um, there are some community groups that try, try to take care of them, but um, they do good and bad work because their knowledge level about nature in some cases causes more damage. But uh, the new strategy will enable more stewardship and it'll help forestry and parks in conjunction with groups like ours to, to do a better job of taking care of them. We have lots of uh, green spaces. Um, we probably could use more. It's the combination of how you, you know, engage people around nature um, and do a better job of enabling access. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, um, you know, how you sort of do urban planning around that, right? Like, we're lucky for what we have, but we could do a, a way, much better job. We could mm -hmm. also do a much better job of education, ed, education around nature and what there is available for Torontonians to use, right? Hmm. Uh, like, when I did my show a couple of years ago, people were amazed that everything I shot and was showing was taken in Toronto. Right? Like they didn't yeah. know that that sort of stuff was available, right? And that's one of the things we try to do through our walks is get people to realize the sheer abundance of green there is and, and what we need to do to protect it and improve it and, and give people access to it. What are some of your favorite parks in the city? Uh, so Tommy Thompson's a big one. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Waterfront Trail. Um, all the okay. way from the east end to to the west. Um, there are a lot of little great parks are along there. Colonel Samuel Smith is a is another really good out in the west end. I've been there, yeah. Yeah. Um, up here, I like the East Dawn Parklands, um, the trail system there. It's a really great tr trail system along, and it's much improved. Um, it's got a great multi-use trail and there's some nice off trails. Um, let's see what else. Um, I love, I love the islands. Um, okay. Um, so Ward Island has some nice green spaces. Um, there's a nice wetland ecosystem on there and it's, uh, um, and then on the other end, you know, once they can get back to doing some of the restoration work, uh, Gibraltar breach beach area is really nice out that way. It's, a, okay. it's towards uh, the, the, the airport side of the island chain. Okay. Um, it's actually one of the areas where some shorebirds um, can nest. And once they do the finish the restoration of that beach, uh, we'll be able to get some shorebirds that rarely over the last hundred years have nested out there, the piping plover. Um, oh. We'll have an opportunity to, to come back. Um, what else with some other good spots? Uh, there's a lot of great ravines around the city uh, that people can access. Uh, but yeah, I'd say those are my sort of top parks. 
Nice. Tell me about uh, your website. It's not, uh, it's a place where people can see some of your shots, purchase some of your stuff. Yeah. I just, I finally got, you know, for a, for a tech guy, I dragged my butt on doing e-commerce. Uh, but part of that was confidence about the quality of the work, really, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then people stopped saying, started yelling at me saying, listen, man, it was, I was selling privately to local people and, and okay. people I knew, but I wasn't doing the e-com thing yet. I was taking like email orders. So um, decided to to uh, use Shopify's platform to, to build a site. So that's live. There's a link off my website, which is, you know, zanacon.com is the site. The portfolio site has more of my work. Not all of it is available through Shopify yet. I'm doing it kind of in stages. Um, it's a very interesting process because most of my consulting these days are with smaller businesses. So now I'm my own client. Yeah. <laughs> all of the stuff I used to just do strategy and go, hey, go do that. Now I'm like having to do myself. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, and then it's also be a little bit of experimentation, right? Like what people like to buy. There's a lot of stuff that I'm trying to sell. Um, sure. some people are interested in licensing some of my work that I don't put up for sale, which is interesting. I'm just kind of, okay. it's taking longer to get done than it with smaller birds. Uh, and some people have said they'd prefer, you know, maybe smaller frames. Um, so we'll see. I'm going to add right now. It's just uh, birds of prey and, and herons and uh, my shots of the common loon that are available for purchase through Shopify. Yeah. Um, and then I got approached by a company out of San Francisco, uh, which is um, selling digital artwork uh, using blockchain technology. Okay. Um, so you, the, you can do like, you know, the, one of the problems with digital is you can have unlimited copies, right? So that degrades the quality of, or the value of the individual piece. With blockchain, you can limit the number and each piece is authenticating because it's, it's tr using a block with a blockchain system. So it's called Maker's Place. Um, so that one's kind of interesting because I'm experimenting with stuff a little outside of my comfort zone in nature. Yeah. Uh, to do like, you know, black and white urban stuff I've shot. Uh, some light experiments where the camera's moving as you're shooting. So you get these light effects kind of thing. Um, so for now, that's kind of where I'm at. I've experimented with having my stuff printed on, on products and I still do some of that, but um, I kind of want to focus on the, you know, high quality fine print area. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just for my tech days remembering you have multiple streams of revenue yeah. <laughs> so i'm experimenting with ones outside of the core stuff i really want to do true awesome Zunaid, man this has been fun it's been good catching up Thanks, with you man. all the best yeah you too take care <laughs>